This is Stories of the Land Connect, and I'm your host, Rebecca Dallinger. We will hear from diverse people and communities of the northern and northwest Minnesota's rural landscape. This is where the prairie meets the pines, the headwaters of the Mississippi flows, where the hardwoods and the tamarack trees meet. This is a place of many rivers, lakes, and watersheds. This is home. Shirley Nordrum works as an extension educator with the University of Minnesota, working with tribal nations of Leech Lake, Red Lake, and White Earth Nations. Hey Shirley, it's been a while since we've seen each other, and I wanted to connect again and just, you know, have you tell me a little bit about, yeah, a little bit about yourself. Well, it's good to see you. It's good to um, be at least partially through this uh, pandemic time and be out and able to see a few people at least a little bit again. Who I am, my colonized name is Shirley Nordrum. My Ojibwe spirit name, name that the way that the spirits know me by is Benesque, which is a Thunderbird woman. That name, I love that name. I feel like it is so me because I feel like the thunder, that sound that I love so much. Most of the time I just roll along. I, I recently had a friend tell me I danced through life. I didn't know, I, I, don't, I didn't think I could dance all that well. But, you know, I, I, I roll through, through life pretty happy. And then sometimes things just anger me. And, you know, that's the, the crashing and the, you know, when the ground shakes. Um, I, I feel like I kind of reflected, not kind of, I am reflected in that name. I'm of the Martin clan. One of the responsibilities of the Martin clan is, is to protect. I think that's appropriate as well with my name. Those things that anger me and make me crash and thunder around are when I am protecting the world around me, the people around me. So those gifts that are given to us as Anishinaabe people are so important to really think deeply about. I've been thinking about my friends that I'm missing so much and their Ojibwe names, their spirit names a lot. And that's really interesting how much I didn't think about it before, but how much they of who they are is reflected in that name that was gifted to them by the spirit being so. For a career wise, I am trained in Western science. Personally, I was trained by Anishinaabe parents. They taught me to have these deep relationships with everything around me, all the living beings around me. That Western science, that kind of taught me to tear things apart, not have a relationship, to just look at pieces and parts of and and sometimes that's useful. I don't think it's necessary, but sometimes it can be useful. And so career-wise, I've been able to blend those things with like, you know, percentage-wise, I'm probably 90% um, using my gifts as, that were gifted to me as Anishinaabe purses, and 10% of the time I'm using that Western uh, science knowledge. And of course, there's always gotta be politics involved in there as well, because that's what humans do. They make things political. You know, career-wise, it's been in the natural resources, 35 years in the natural resource realm. I'm not a fan of that terminology, natural resources, because they're not resources, they're gifts. It's been a, a, a hard journey because it seems like every time I sat down at the table, 
with a Forest Service person, a Corps of Engineers person, an EPA person, an MPCA person. They never had a worldview that I had. And somehow or other, I had to pull that that Western science out of my pocket and figure out how I could explain that to them with the merging of my Anishinaabe worldview. It's always really challenging, but I'm always up to the challenge. I actually seek to be on boards with the Minnesota DNR because I feel that if I don't, there's very few people, a view of the world that I have, that will step up and be on those boards because they are so frustrating. Probably feel like I don't make progress, but if I'm not there, who's going to be there to speak for those ones who can't speak in an English voice? They speak, but just not with English. That, that's what I do, but it's also what I do as a person. You just, you know, in my private life, I, I enjoy being out there. I be, enjoy observing, accepting gifts and leaving gifts and trying to walk as lightly on the earth as I can, walk with the beings that are around me. Yeah, so that's a little bit about who I am and what I do. I wanted to start off by asking you where you live and what's a story that brought you here? A story that brought me here. Leech Lake is an escape. I grew up in Gojuching, which uh, for those that don't know is like the International Falls Fort Francis area. That's what that place is called. And I was having a real struggle uh, in my life and I just needed to get away and leave. And I came here and I met really good people like the very first day I was here, I just, they started showing me the land. They were people that were connected to the land and they started cruising around with me in the backwoods and showing me rivers and lakes. And it was um, fall time, so it was hunting time. It was racing time. They met, I met all kinds of people. They introduced me to all kinds of people. I just loved it and I stayed and I brought my family here and I just made my life here. So do you live in Leech Lake or do you, where do you live? Uh, southwest side of Leech Lake Reservation. Um, on the Necktie River, not directly on it, but so close to it that it's you know, a short quarter of a mile walk. Bought my house. Um, I was just walking my dog. My family wasn't here yet, and it was uh, springtime. This guy pulls up, and he says, Are you from around here? And I'm, I said, uh, I, don't, I just bought a house here. I don't know what really you're asking me. And he said, oh, I just wondered if you knew about this place. And I said, um, I don't know. And he said, well, there's a story here about this place. I said, well, you want to tell me the story? And he said, sure, I'll tell you what I know. He said, so this place has got lots of deer. There's always been lots of deer in this area. And he said it was a great hunting ground for Dakota and Ojibwe. And there was a battle between them as to whose territory this was to hunt here. And he said, so there was basically like two groups. I don't know if they're families or, or what, you know, but the Ojibwe were, was a larger group and a stronger group, and they told the Dakota to stay away, that this was their territory. And uh, so the Dakota apparently snuck in and were hunting, and the Ojibwe captured them, and they killed them. And they put them on the, uh, it would be the west, northwest side of a lake called Heart Lake. They say that, he's, this guy told me that it was said that if you go to that um, lake at the nighttime during the hunting season, 
that you will see glowing fireballs, uh, three for each of those Dakota people in that area where the um, bodies had been left. And so, you know, I thanked him for that story. And as I lived there now 25 years, yes, that place has is blessed with far more deer than any place around here. You can go driving in the in the springtime and you'll see fields with uh, hundreds of white-tailed deer in them. I have never gone at nighttime to look and see if um, I ever could see the fireballs, but I, I don't know. I think it was interesting that out of the clear blue sky, I met a man that told me a story about that place. So I've always tried to kind of look for the uh, Ojibwe name for that place. Um, I can't remember what it is right now. I did find a name in the, actually it was in the Cass County Historical Society. I wrote it down and I took it to a few elders from around here and they think that there's something missing from the way that it was written. But from what they can understand, uh, the, the word means the place where he hung himself. So I'm kind of guessing after I found that name that possibly there is a true history to that story that that man stopped and told me. And I don't even know that man. I don't, I don't even know who that was. How do you describe your connection to this place, or the land, or the water? What is something, is a story that part of your heart? I don't know how to explain how I feel about this place because it's so strong. I mean, in a joking way to explain how strong it is to me, is that, so I bought this little house. It's just a small house. It's not well insulated. It was built in the Depression era, so, you know, there's not beams eight foot on center or whatever they're supposed to be. But I love that house and I love this place, and so um, we daydream about, like, if we ever won the lottery. And, like, I say, I'm not going. I'm not leaving this house. We're not moving from this house. (laughs) My family, you know, jokes about that because... You know, if you were a millionaire or whatever, you'd probably not live in that kind of house. But I love I love that house and that place so much that I would never leave. I think everything that I could ever need is within walking distance of that place. The Creator provided it for me right there. I feel safe there. I've always had an issue of feeling safe. So I, I don't know how to explain how I love that place. It's, just a, it's a strong feeling... Um, that resonates from my heart and it, it I love it so much it almost makes me want to cry when I think about it so that's the only way I know how to explain that do you have a story of water or a feeling about the headwaters in Mississippi or something within the context of what water means to you well my you know my dad my parents were always um, out, outside harvesting food and and doing things, you know, traditional ways. And I didn't really think about that when I was growing up. But so when you're doing that, you're on the water a lot. I mean, my dad was always fishing. He always knew where to find. He he could read the water and, and understand what was under the water in a way that I don't know how he did that. So when we went fishing, he always knew where the fish was at. And we always caught fish. And we spent a lot of time on the water, you know, getting food, collecting fish, getting rice, doing those things. It's not something I thought about. It, it, it's just something that is a part of my life in such a way that um, I can't be separate from it. 
Um, when I'm upset, that's where I go for to find peace, is at the water. The funny thing was, though, when I was going to college, I met a guy named Gerald White. We were both going through the um, biology program together. And I didn't really know what I wanted to do yet. I was kind of thinking uh, about wildlife management, but at the same time, I was... Uh, you know, introduced to a lot of new kinds of studies like microbiology and genetics and molecular genetics, and I, I loved those things. So one day, Gerald and I were talking as we were studying, we were study partners, and he's like, well, what are you, you going to do, Shirley? And I was telling him I didn't know. I said, well, what do you want to do? And he said, I want to study water. You know, he just said water. So I just thought of water, like just water by itself. Well, wow, I wonder what he's going to, you know, do. What, what's, what's, that sounds kind of boring is actually what I thought. Ended up kind of funny because I was the one that ended up working in water more so than him. Um, because I, I got this job with Leech Lake Band of Ojibwe. I started the environmental department. It was, the tribal council completely let me decide how I wanted to do that. Well, in my mind, the very first and most important thing was to get something going with the water. The water was always my favorite program. From uh, my recreation, I'm a, I love to canoe, uh, to you know, having food, rice and fish, to my work. It ended up being my job for many, many years. And it's still not separate from my job, even though I'm working for the university and I'm, my focus is a lot on, uh, on traditional foods, that water is so important to the traditional foods. I mean, you can't have life without water. It's just been present in my life all along and just like that, just like your heart's there and you don't realize that it's beating and keeping you alive, the water's always been there and it's keeping me alive. What excites you most about the future? That's a hard question in the times we're in right now. To be honest, in the last, for the last while, it's been really hard to find an excitement. And the last week has been really challenging with the, uh, the fires in Australia. Um, to think that it's quite possible that all those unique, uh, magnificent beings of Australia could go extinct from the fires and the fact that their habitat and their food may be gone for a long time. That's really challenging to find the, the hope for the future, but I think we just have to push through those hard times. I guess I find that hope in my faith and my understanding of our traditional teachings and that... We are given, there's a reason why we're here. And to find that reason, to know what that reason is, and to just follow it. And so I just keep working. I keep teaching. I keep talking about it. I do everything that I can to try to limit my footprint on the earth. And I share those things that I do with other people. Not in a preachy way, but if it's something that you want to do. Every Every little thing that we do collectively can make a huge difference. You know, if it's um, bringing my own bowl and my own spoon to some place where there's going to be food so that I'm not using 
you know, disposable things, and then other people see you doing that. Kind of like leading by example, right? I try to have faith, and yeah, it's a it's a hard question for me right now because I'm uh, I wouldn't say I was in, I'm in a dark place. And my my being is resting right now, trying to figure things out, and trying to um, to find that spark of yeah, there is a future for us. It's, it may look different. It may look really different for some. The sun's gonna always come up. You describe that being of who you are. I've had your title and what you do, but how would you describe yourself? Um. And it's a very personal question. It is. It's, it's a, like, you know. I think I love deeply. And I, th- and I care about everyone, every being. The sun, the moon, the stars, and everything that comes from those, uh, I care about. I try to do to walk a path that demonstrates my respect and my love for all of creation but then i get angry too and i think that angry that anger um, stems from that love because i can't stand injustice and i'll work hard for that and i'll be fierce when i need to be to to try to help others so my ojibwe name is is thunderbird woman you know and my nephew, one time, he said, uh, you really are like your name. He said, because most of the time, he said, you're kind of that, you know, like when the thunders roll in and they're gentle and you just kind of want to lay back and go to sleep and you know that everything is going to be all right. But he said, then there's those times when you're angry about injustice. He said, and that's those storms that just scare the heck out of you and you wonder if you're going to make it through it because you're you're so you know wanting justice and and working hard for that so fiercely that in those times you're kind of scary <laughs> so I kind of like that uh, I hadn't thought about me representing my name quite that way but I, I I do like that what would you share with another or a message that you would put out to people about land or the water and the connection to the land well if you don't have a connection to it I would encourage anyone to find it and how you find that is to spend time with it if you don't know if you don't know it and you don't have it you you may not know where you'll find that connection it may be by the water maybe under a pine tree maybe by a birch tree I don't know where that place is going to be, but I'd, I'd encourage that person to take some time and go different places and sit and just be quiet. Let your mind be quiet. And I believe that you will get that connection. I saw someone one time sitting with their hand buried in the soil. And I believe that that brought them a great, even more powerful connection. They had one. But I I believe that that time that they spent, which was quite a long period of time, with their hand in the soil, created an even greater connection for them. So if you don't have it, you need to find it. If you do have it, don't let this everyday crazy world that we live in today disrupt it. Because it can easily be disrupted and disconnected. And in these times that are challenging, 
we might want to just shut off. And so when we're done with our day, we'll just go watch TV or whatever to just try to make it through. Some people do, you know, harmful things to their body to try to shut off um, the madness of, of the world that we live in. But I would encourage you not to do that. To, um, to eat healthy, to make sure you drink that water, to make sure you spend that time trying to connect. And even if it's five, ten minutes a day, everybody has five, ten minutes a day, try to cleanse yourself of everything except you and the world around you. Take those moments and, and build that and build upon it. If that's all you have to start with, the more you shut out the world and the world that we live in, and connect with the real world, the stronger you'll become, the more balanced you'll become. What is the real world then in your... The real world is everything that the Creator gifted us. It's the land, it's the water, it's the universe. That's the reality. The alternate reality is this thing that we do every day to try to survive and you know by going to work going to school we do things that just don't make sense and i think the more you connect with the real world the more you'll look at that alternate world and go what the heck are we doing what what is the point of this i was also told and i i strongly believe this is that our purpose here on earth is to create and so artists have already found that gift. They, they're creating art. It might be dance, it might be music, it might be visual arts, whatever that art is. But to create, a lot of us don't have jobs that allow us to create. And so we're not fulfilling our purpose. We're doing a job that will get us some money that will help us survive in this alternate world, but we're not... We're not fulfilling our purpose by creating. So I think that that's another thing a person has to really look at. What is it that you're meant to create? Maybe it's food. Maybe you're a cook. Maybe you are creating when you're feeding your family at night and you're, you're doing part of that. I don't know what it is, but there's lots of different ways to create. There's, you know, gardens, planting trees, whatever it is, there's ways to create. So I would encourage people to also find that. What is it that you are supposed to create? Many thanks to everyone who's been part of telling their stories of the Land Connect. Thank you for the generosity of your time and the beauty of your words. Again, I am your host, Rebecca Dallinger. Special thanks to mentors and podcasters, Shirley Nordrum and Zach Page. The theme song is by Zach Page. You can find Zach's podcast seed stories on his North Circle Seed Company page. This series couldn't have been done without the generous support of the University of Minnesota's Wiseman Art Museum, and the Itasca Biological Field Station, as well as the generous support of Extension's Regional Sustainable Development Partnerships, also known as RSDP. To find out more about sustainability projects in your county, go to extension.umn.edu slash regional partnerships. Thank you.